Welcome to the CG Pro Podcasts. Tonight, we have a very special guest with us, Luke Delamar. Luke is the head of technology at a company called Impossible Objects, and we'll introduce him in just a second. If you enjoy this podcast, you can follow us, CG Pro, at becomecgpro.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, and we're a school. So we, if you want to find out more about our classes, you can go there and find out more information. But uh, yeah, tonight we are here for the podcast, and um, Luke Delamar is our guest. Luke is, uh, as I said, the head of technology at Impossible Objects, a pioneering studio using uh, real-time technology, uh, particularly Unreal Engine, to create final pixels uh, to a very high quality and standard in commercials and other formats. And um, Luke has a, a really unique set of skills uh, in combination, uh, a rare skill set in coming from both cinematography and visual effects as having been a cinematographer and a visual effects supervisor. Um, and that puts him in a unique position to be able to be an expert in virtual production, a, an emerging new industry. Uh, so, Luke, welcome. Great Thank to have you. you here. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Um, so, I always love to to start these off by just asking you a little bit about how you got into filmmaking um, and visual effects, for that matter. Were there some early inspirations that kind of made you realize this is what you wanted to do for for a living when you grew up? Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. Although I'm sure I, I'm not going to go give the full origin story. I'm sure that would, it'll get very long, but, um, I think I've had a, a full circle situation here where I, I was brought into to film because I was actually interested in visual effects from a very young age in high school, um, and even middle school actually. Um, and so that kind of led me to film school in undergrad where I then kind of learned about cinematography and kind of pivoted towards, um, being a DP graduated and, and kind of started a career as a cinematographer, uh, but kept up my visual effects um, kind of skill set and was kind of a freelancer all around. Um, and then in, in kind of recent years now, as virtual productions come about, I've kind of come back around and realized that, you know, while I've spent the last, you know, decade kind of shooting and, and learning um, about cinematography and just the language of of cinema, um, I'm now kind of getting to to re revisit my kind of um, initial interest that kind of sparked it all, which is visual effects and imagery and, and kind of uh, the technology behind it. So hence my um, my focus at Impossible Objects. Was there, was there a movie? Was there something that like lit you up and made you realize that you wanted to do visual effects? Because not, not everybody knows what that is or, you know, understands that it's a job or that it's a job that they could actually do was they i had a I had a movie that made me want to do it did you, you have well uh yeah i want to hear my, what, mine was jurassic park yeah. oh i mean yeah of course <laughs> you, you gotta yeah. um yeah Almost, mine was also kind of you know somewhat cookie cutter it was lightsabers um you know obviously a huge star wars fan but it was actually learning how to rotoscope um in middle school <laughs> Um, you know, can't say that I was doing it on my, my lunch break, but I, I became very interested in Photoshop and, and After Effects. So in, in, um, in a nutshell, kind of a child of Andrew Kramer, for those of you who know about Video Copilot. So um, uh, yeah. kind of was brought up in, in, in that category and then kind of shifted away uh, into cinematography. But yeah, it was, it was lightsabers, that simple. <laughs> right. So like making your own lightsaber shorts. Yeah. Exactly. You know, just goofing around, you know, making videos where just people be like, how the heck did you do that? The, that kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of um, I'm sure everyone's seen this a wonderful documentary about the, the origin story of ILM. But, you know, just just right there, that kind of thing. But just a, um, a different era, I, th I feel like so. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly chipping away at it. I, yeah. you know, I don't have as much time to watch television as I used to since I had children start the business. But uh, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Seeing a couple of episodes, and, and it's just it's amazing to to see its humble beginnings. And and some, sometimes you look at those movies that have had massive success mm -hmm. and became huge, you know, vented the industry, became huge companies that they started in in very humble beginnings mm -hmm. and with people 
figuring it out, figuring out how to do it. Yeah. So, so it was, it was Star Wars and you making your own Star Wars. Um, how did you, how did you, like, how did you find out that you could, it's something that you even could That's do? a good question. You know, I think, um, I think my neighbor gave me a pirated copy of Photoshop is like, if you could pinpoint the exact, you know, inception yeah. date, that would be, it would be Photoshop. Um, you know, so just my uh, fascination with just, um, modifying imagery and, um, eventually learning that you could use those tools to help tell a story, um, you know, in a way that no one else could, um, especially at, you know, the age that I was kind of ex exploring this kind of thing. I, I thought it was amazing. So, so, so taking it a little further than your experiments in Photoshop, what did, how did you progress it into actually getting your first job in the industry? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm trying to think funny enough, the, the, the founder of impossible objects, Joe Sill, were were really, really good friends and, and go back a long time. Um, he's a director and also does, does visual effects. Um, we, we both kind of had this fascination with it. And so even though I was kind of shooting and kind of had a career as a cinematographer, I still had this huge interest in just furthering being able to kind of deliver these things. I, I remember finishing undergrad thinking I would be a cinematographer who could shoot a visual effects music video and do the visual effects you know, and just have this cohesive view of the whole project. Um, and even though at that point in my career, I did not understand, um, you know, what kind of complications you get when you when you think about a, a giant movies visual effects pipeline and, and the process behind that. Um, but I was starting to understand that, like, if you have this view and understand the tools at every end of the spectrum, um, you know, things can go a lot more smoothly and you can help communicate a story and just your ideas. Um, and on a lot more uh, efficient manner, um, since we all know visual effects kind of take a long time. So, um, yeah, kind of roundabout answer there, but. So you studied cinematography, filmmaking. Yeah. yeah, I would say that was my focus in undergrad um, at, at film school. I went to Loyola Marymount in uh, Los Angeles. Got it. Uh, and, and you started to, was your first work in cinematography or in visual effects? Um. I mean, I'd have to say both. My thesis, I shot and did the visual effects. It took place on a train that we shot on a, 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 a soundstage. Um, you know, so I was just kind of always in parallel doing it, and I just found more success and um, I wouldn't say more joy in shooting, but you know, you, I had a crew um, as a cinematographer. You have this 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 kind of core team, and I'd, I was never a staff artist at a, a VFX house. Um, you know, at that point in my career, so I kind of stuck with. It was with the live action front because that's where my community was. Got it. So, did you kind of come up through the ranks as a cinematographer, gaffing, and camera assistant? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Kind of you kind you kind of do that. You know, everyone. There's there's so many ways to to kind of rise the the crew ranks in in film and especially in Los Angeles. Um, you know, uh, but I would say yeah, I was kind of very fascinated with light. I for a long time was um, completely happy to, to be a gaffer um, just because I was fascinated with the tools behind it. I'm always, I'm, I'm always interested in the tech behind creating these images, um, but ultimately realized that obviously the, the role of a cinematographer, you still have more control, um, but you do have to relinquish, you know, certain, um, certain things, especially at, at, at certain tiers. Um, so I came to kind of accept that, but yeah, I, I did kind of rise a little bit of those ranks. Um, yeah question early question coming in already from somebody asking um particularly other than photoshop what what oh, kinds yeah. of software did you find yourself getting into in the early days in yeah it was um a photoshop probably within a month i switched to after effects realizing that i needed more than one frame um yeah and then also i've blender i've actually i've used blender since i mean for uh, I've, I've, I've used After Effects for almost like 16 or 17 years, but I've used Blender for longer than that. Um, so I've always had this like understanding of a 3D um, space. Maybe not, had, I can't say I was an advanced user in the slightest, but I had, I had experimented with that. And so I, I had this understanding um, as basic as it was of just operating within a digital three-dimensional space. Got it. So pre 2.8. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what, that's, that was when I started getting interested in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you used, used Blender quite extensively more, more so than some of the other more typical. 
um, software like Maya or yeah yeah Western I mean things. yeah I didn't um in in high school I, I I did like a film program in high school and it was just After Effects and and doing visual effects that way um in college I did take some visual effects classes I learned I did post viz and pre, and previs in college actually and consider myself very fortunate to to have been able to kind of step away from what was a normal production curriculum and to kind of learn a little bit about how visual effects um, are done um, but uh yeah rising through those ranks no it was I, I i was a very late bloomer to both maya um and now nuke as well so so uh, based on that uh how do how do you feel about the, the software progression and well i should say how do you feel about um some of these kind of newcomers to to visual effects blender is always used to be seen as a hobbyist tool until mm -hmm. about basically 2.8 it started to be mm -hmm. seen more yeah. as a serious 3d program but actually people were using professionally and, and now it seems to be getting more and more traction um and then some others as well what what are your thoughts on that's a good question i feel like that's a that's a somewhat of a, a heated debate you know because there's there's yeah. a lot of a pro, there's a lot of perspectives about this um personally i i left blender um and objectively i think it is a very powerful tool um and they're i mean it's always being updated and there are lots of things one could argue it does better than some of the other competitors um the main issue being in a more rigid pipeline and established um vfx and post houses you know it just doesn't have a home um so i unfortunately i think it, you know it's it's a great tool to learn the the concepts behind things um uh, but it's it's uh, there's always going to be difficulty with like you know doing a full pipeline that includes blender or, or those kinds of tools so are you guys using it we, objects? yeah it, it's i mean it, yes we do but we're primarily my if if it's not in unreal which the core of our business is is unreal yeah. and i'm sure we'll talk more about that um with virtual production but uh for animation we still maya is still kind of the the reigning champ Cool. Yeah, it's always an interesting question for me to ask people because I, I know that um, I, I, I learned Maya as well because everyone in the industry used Maya and it's still the case in a lot of the, the big studios and even smaller studios as well. It, it's it's just been there for a long time. Yeah. It's well ingrained into people's pipelines and it's hard to wean people off. There's also the skill set yeah. question where the artists are all trained in that software, yeah. not trained in others so much. But I'm I'm interested to see as people are starting to bring in some Blender to even mm -hmm. really big houses, maybe not yeah. in the pipeline, but to be able to no as a specialty tool. No, in. and you know, being yeah. somewhat of a nimble studio too, that you know, that's an advantage we have. Um, you know, we're kind of building a pipeline, not from scratch, but because um, you know we're we're kind of getting to 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 do things the way we want to with virtual production. So for us, it's always about you know what's the right tool for the job. It's not necessarily what do we have to use um because that's what everyone else is using or that's what this vendor is delivering with or you know things like that um yeah yeah well the uh as my friend's radio show is titled life changes and i think you know, we're seeing a lot of this it's coming into visual effects now there, yeah. there are things that people said that never happened that are now currently happening yeah um, so oh yeah an exciting time of a lot of change and um I was drawn to to your guys' work at Impossible Objects by the the quality of what was produced in um, the Diablo project in mm. uh, in Unreal Engine, and I, I was I was Thank you. very impressed by that, and hadn't to that point seen tons of examples of people really pushing Unreal's mm -hmm. renderer to to a high level in production. Mm -hmm. um, so I I, I really uh, I think it's quite remarkable what you guys are doing and, and um, sticking to, as you said, to Unreal Engine as a core tool, mm -hmm. as opposed to something used for previs that then leads to something else. It's, mm -hmm. you're really, uh, it's, it, I think it's studios like you, yours, that are going to help move this forward. So uh, we hope so. Yeah. Um, so just to, to talk about that for a second. Um, yeah what um i guess what uh encouraged you to feel like unreal was a tool that could be used for final imagery 
that's a great question. Um, you know, our, my, my first exploration with Unreal, um, I have to credit to John McKinnis Studios and, and a challenge, uh, and a fellow virtual production cinematographer, uh, Kevin Stewart and I did together where we kind of just quickly learned that um, as a as a place to, to quickly iterate um, with light and texture, you know, as opposed to the daunting task of like when you open Maya and what you're looking at or even Blender, what you're looking at, um, just being able to so quickly bring things in and the, the ecosystem that that Unreal kind of has, um, despite it, you know, being a game engine, but just kind of opening these doors and they've done so much work to kind of to make it more friendly to uh, a film production pipeline. Um, yeah, it just it became quickly clear to us that, you know, with the right mindset and um, the right approach, you, this tool is completely valid, you know, and the the more we kind of explored it and the more we talked with the community about it, which was obviously a huge, a huge kind of um, outpouring for this, right? In the last two or three years, especially over like the early pandemic when everyone was locked up and just kind of like, what what software should I learn? You know, it seemed like that was a, a big ticket item, so. Yeah, makes sense. Um, how did that uh, come about? How did that project come about? You, um, you were took part in the short sounds, but I think they, you actually won. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yes, I, I, I guess we did. Um, yeah, I think what happened was I found myself my, you know, my like so much of the world, you know, my the, the kind of career took a, a pause um, when we all kind of shut down, and in the during that pause, I was still eager to kind of create and and do something creative. And I, you know, I hadn't done visual effects, um, you know, kind of professionally in a bit and just was always just toying around. And this, this challenge came up and, uh, I remember I opened unreal at one point and was like, Oh no, thank you. And I closed it. Cause I was just not, I just didn't have the mindset, but then revisited it over this kind of pause and, um, just spent 30 days kind of diving into it and learning how to translate my knowledge, um, from all the other softwares that I, you know, built with, um, with with visual effects in general and just realized that I could just connect this connect these dots of like oh the lighting that I do in live action I can now just really quickly just lay out on the table um and and see something you know just insanely high fidelity for how easy and and quick it was um and things kind of exploded from there so where did the idea for the short come from yeah, that was a part of the challenge from McKenna Studios. They provided a a scene. I'm 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 sure some of the people in this community here may have even uh, like taken part in it. Um, there was like a blank John unreal McInnes scene. John is actually listening. And he's great. Inside. Oh, uh, great. Hey, John. <laughs> great to see. You. Yeah. Um, no, I mean it was great. There was a, a I think it was a scene was provided that had some really high fidelity both mocap and a really high fidelity. Um, uh, essentially like an early, not a metahuman, but it was like pre-metahumans quality metahuman, um, just this wonderful character that was designed um, there. And so that was just kind of offered up to the, the com community to kind of do something with. Um, and so it was really fun to just take something and, and explore it with. And it, it just, it wasn't as, um, I had never seen that in, in with other softwares or never had as, um, never been able to do that in just such a quick way. Um, and so we kind of, Kevin and I uh, took with it, we ran with it and, and had a blast. So, so, um, what was it about unreal that appealed to you as a cinematographer? You mentioned the fact that you could do things quickly in it. You could work quickly and achieve results quickly. What, what else about it made you excited as a cinematographer? I think it was also just kind of connect. I mean, I keep saying connecting the dots, but realizing that this this space that you inhabit inside of, um, I mean, any 3D package really. So, like in that sense, it it's hard to say that it was ground. Like for me, it was groundbreaking because I could suddenly envision the way I would um, almost storyboard a movie or block a movie. I realized I could block the same way I blocked a live action commercial or narrative shoot. I could do the exact same thing in Unreal. And then also light it. And then suddenly, without even trying, that was really high quality previs, if not a beautiful looking cinematic, um, you know, with not very little effort, but just in a very intuitive way um, where the tools were just kind of almost just converging to this point. You know, it, it's not that it was just already perfect and, and meant for this, right? It's been the kind of a long process to get there as, as all these virtual production tools um, evolve. 
But at that point, um, there was like a switch and just realizing that, you know, a cinematographer with a visual effects background suddenly is able to produce, you know, an animation, like a, a beautiful looking visualization. Um, that was just a huge um, kind of a Pandora's box moment, I think. Do you have any things that you would say to anyone, say, some, someone who hasn't experienced Unreal Engine yet, or somebody who's from the filmmaking world or mm -hmm. the visual effects world, who's who's curious about it? Um, what what would you recommend for them to 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 do to explore what it's capable of? Um, yeah, that's you know that's a, obviously a tough question because it's such a you know a case by case basis. I get a lot of. Um, people ask it like directors thinking, Oh, if I learn unreal, like, can I previs my own stuff or cinematographers wanting to do lighting viz or, um, even just, uh, actually doing animation, actually doing a cinematic, you know, right. There's so many different use cases or, or even just understanding the tool, um, for led volume workflows and, and things like that. Right. Cause this, the branch of this tool kind of spreads far and wide. Um, yeah. my recommendation would be, um, to, I mean, it, it, it depends on, on what would work best for like what, what, what that individual might need to do, but it's, um, it may be daunting to look at, but if you have a good reason for it and you're kind of the type of person who likes to have their hands in it, or, um, it's just, it's such a, it's such a great tool for, you know, visualization in general. And that happens to kind of, um, you know, elevate a whole lot of workflows, animation, virtual production volumes, the, the, the whole thing. So I'm trying, I know I'm not actually giving advice here. I'm trying to decide, decide what the answer is. Um, well, you can, you can have already some, some, well, you know, you've, you said that having purpose, having something that you're actually trying to accomplish and yeah, the, I guess that having that short was one of those. One exactly. I, I will say that that's, this would be hard advice is don't, don't download any software without uh, a goal in mind, <laughs> you know, right. that you'll, you'll immediately shut it down. Um, it, no one wants to watch tutorials without an end in sight. Um, you know, so do it, do it to, to build, uh, something that, that makes you happy that if you, if you enjoy being creative in that sense, um, you know, and obviously people who are, are already in post-production and visual effects have an advantage to that, but I'm definitely of this mindset of, I'm trying to bring people from live action who can use this as a tool, um, that, yeah, maybe not, you know, maybe your average um, live action cinematographer, it doesn't need to learn this tool to light the scenes for their volume shoots, but just understanding the the, the language of this um, is a lot easier than one would think. Right. Yeah. Some, what are some of the uh, useful things for, for cinematographers, for filmmakers? Because as you said, visual effects people feel like it feels like it's a familiar world to them because mm -hmm. they're in a 3d environment that yeah. translation to a different tool set but for filmmakers it's it's brand new it's a lot of them have not been in 3d software before yeah what were some of the things that they could they could do um to help their process um yeah you know there's i mean obviously there's a, a, a plethora of of you know courses for these kinds of things we're speaking on cg pro right now uh but I think it, it would be, you know, obviously I'm biased towards uh, cinematography, but using it as a way to explore, you know, how, how light works in a, in a virtual sense, you know, I know, I, I don't know any cinematographer who doesn't think the latest Pixar movies aren't beautiful, you know, and that's not a coincidence um, that completely has to do with, you know, uh, having this mutual understanding of, you know, what composes a beautiful image and a lot of those, um, a lot of those uh, theories and um, just the, the the themes behind uh, cinematography apply to any form of art, obviously. But so, like, of course, it applies to virtual production and Unreal Engine as well. And so, it's it's just another like it's another um, like canvas to kind of explore this kind of thing that happens to be free. It happens to be a major tool um, that's kind of being explored in in virtual production in general and um, it happens to be pretty quick to learn it compared in, in comparison to some other packages. So. Right. Yeah. Compared to how long it takes to learn Houdini, for example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and there any, any thoughts for the, the, the visual effects community? Cause the, the, what it feels like to me is that the filmmakers are, are learning computer graphics and in this 
new thing called virtual production filmmakers mm -hmm. are learning computer graphics mm -hmm. and computer graphics people are learn now having to learn filmmaking and even though you would think that digital effects people would know about filmmaking it's very very often siloed into making single shots and not really understanding the entire yeah. filmmaking process but now this really encourages the knowledge of that which i think people don't don't have as much from that can yeah um you know i think it's it's kind of i, I kind of have a two-part answer because i i think there's a lot that traditional animation pipelines can now learn and are already exploring with virtual production but then also like animation within visual effects but then also just kind of visual effects and the fx end of visual effects um so i'll start with animation and, and that is one where and that's something we're doing at impossible objects is kind of exploring the the idea of um you know the nonlinear um process the nonlinear aspect of, of virtual production and in the sense that you're not kind of glued to this you know stage a stage b stage c and if you got to fix stage a you got to go through all the stages again um you know a lot of a lot of traditional animation is like that and there's definitely exceptions you know obviously the lineage pipelines get a, a lot of bash in the virtual production community um and th you know the reality is there's always going to be a linear component to production that's just how time works <laughs> uh but um, so far as we know yeah yeah so far as we know uh you know who knows as we explore the metaverse what happens um but uh what was i where was i going with this oh i i was just saying that you know the same way that like motion capture and um just the the, the idea of blocking an animation piece with mocap or things like that is has really elevated how animations are made um in our eyes at impossible objects it, it, the same goes for just using unreal as this tool where it's this you know uh time is a flat circle situation where we're we're kind of kit bashing while we're doing layout and previs um, and everyone's kind of learning at the same time, much like you would on a live action set where you're all physically present and you're all seeing the same things happen. Um, you know, that's not normally the case with visual effects. Um, so that's where I, I guess that's my tie into visual effects here is that instead of having to, you know, do, you know, do the post viz to understand the shot that's going to be done down the line and then wait for the effects to happen. Um, you know, you're kind of trying to see a little bit more of it as it goes. And so that's, we're always, I'm always personally trying to use Unreal as a way to help communicate visually what we're trying to do, whether or not the piece is being rendered in Unreal or, or not. It's, it's to us, it's about, um, you know, it's about communication. How, how do you uh, approach a, a, pro a new project that comes in? Do you, do you have a, um, like a process? Do you think like, is Unreal going to do it? And you kind of decide at the beginning. Yeah, is there to... is the first piece of paper Unreal? Yes or you know check. Um, you know that depends. Um, I you know I won't say that we we're we're not of the mindset that everything needs to be done in Unreal. It's more the mindset you know what can Unreal help do to elevate this project um, because it's part of our pipeline. Because um, we're not going to be stubborn about things that just either aren't there yet or things that just may not make sense or things that, you know, the time is there to do this and do it a little slowly, then we can do it that way. Um, but the, I guess the answer to that question is, you know, it's for us, it's we're, we're a world building company and we do most of our world building in Unreal. Um, so it's kind of this ecosystem. It's kind of this, this place where our, our stories and creatives live. Um, and so it's, it's just based that way. And it's, it's, we kind of branch out from there, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're using the right tools for the job, but you you appreciating real time engines for all of the 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 flexibility that they have, even yeah. if you have to jump out. I know we we spoke on one of our previous conversations about Diablo mm -hmm. and how basically that was all rendered in Unreal, bar some of the effects mm -hmm. at work, which is better still better done in in Houdini. You've got just bits of the, the flames coming out of the, the creature's mouth and mm -hmm. but otherwise predominantly it was rendered in in unreal mm -hmm. that's correct yeah right um, yeah no no and i mean and even today looking back at that piece because that was um i think well over a year ago now already um just continuing to explore how those types of effects can even be done in engine and it's not because we want to do them in unreal it's because we just don't want to wait for the traditional effects pipeline um if if the if the the creative or the story allows um you know we're not going to do a, a fancy rocket ship smoke sim in, in unreal but 
um, there's a surprising amount that can already be done. And we, I mean, every day Epic's pushing the boundary um, with some of the things that they're releasing and even water. I'm sure everyone downloaded the free water thing from last month. I mean, everyone's, uh, we're all flipping, flipping out about that at the office. Uh. Right. Yeah. And the, the fluids and smoke and some of the things that I, I are incredible. The yeah. fact that they can actually run in real time, things that would have made um, offline renderers chug for yeah. hours, not that long ago. Um, yeah, so what's, uh, what's, hap what's been happening since, I know you guys have worked on an amazing new short since um, Yeah, Yeah, we, uh, not too long ago, uh, we released a, a proof of concept short called Cloud Racer, which is, um, which Joe Sill kind of is the kind of lead creative and director of. Um, but that was kind of a, a proof of concept where it was aside from the story and just how grand it's, I mean, just the log line, by the way, is, is, uh, pod racing meets Blade Runner. So that's, you know, then that's all you need to know. It's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but, um, also just as a way to explore both mocap, we used metahumans as part of the workflow and we were doing it, um, like while metahumans, we started while metahumans were still in beta. Um, and just kind of working with um, an inertia-based mocap suit and just kind of exploring how far we could go, just kind of keeping things in-house like that. Um, and then combining that with like the world-building pipeline we had kind of already developed um, so that just everything, that was 100% um, Unreal Engine, so. Amazing, so that's something which basically anyone could do. Um, obviously yeah. you guys have got a lot of skill but the tools that you're using freely available mm -hmm. to except for the computer that you did it on and the mocap suit. Yeah. Though I will say, uh, yeah, my, my younger self would be like, you spend how much on the draft on the graphics cards? Uh, you know, but yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a point, um, not very long ago with the graphics cards are more expensive than the computer. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad like that they, we've they come somehow come now. back down and, you know, you can get a, a used a used uh, Bitcoin mining card now, right? Hopefully, I don't know. Uh, even even the new ones, there's the there's sub a thousand dollars. Oh, good. Uh, well, that's yeah, great to hear. I lucked 1990s. out. I was a very lucky thirty ninety, uh, like literally jackpot. I don't know if anyone out there was like you know part of those servers on how to get a card, but I was a lucky person. <laughs> you didn't have to sit in a tent outside Best Buy. No, Buy. when I went to Best Buy, the 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 person who handed to me was like you need to hide this as you walk out of the, to the, <laughs> you're going yeah. to get beaten up. Yeah. In parking lot. Yeah. That's, that's the stage at which I got, uh, the 3090 in my personal workstation. <laughs> you put it under your jacket and yeah, yeah. shuffle to the car. Yeah. It seems like the, the forties are inbound. Yeah. I've yet to take a moment to look at all of the Nvidia stuff from today, but that's, that's what I hear. That's what I'm seeing on our Slack. So uh, another question that's come in here from somebody yeah. uh, asking, is Impossible Objects finding that directors are coming to you for previs or is previs still staying with storyboard artists? That's a, that's a, that's actually a really good question. Um, you know, d dependent on the schedule, but a, a lot of the times we found that, you know, when, when we kick off what would traditionally be the, the moment to do storyboards for a client, or agency, we're already, you know, prepping previs in Unreal, and things get built so quickly that the, you know, there's there's look dev the moment that storyboards come in, um, and that's not to discredit the how useful storyboards are, um, but it's one of those things where we kind of have to, it, it kind of it, it's a difficult uh, thing to kind of work around as to you know what do you present and this is i'm speaking in a commercial a commercial workflow sense this, this is different for narrative and and how you might need to craft your own you know visual story um but it is kind of it, it kind of happens happens um somewhat simultaneously and i've actually talked to a, a storyboard artist who asked me like should i be you know looking into unreal um because it, it, you know, there's a lot of parallels, um, and, you know, with concept art, it's almost like storyboards kind of traversing into concept art there. So. Yeah. Yeah. People making cells for storyboards out mm. of real time engines. Cause yeah. it's quick yeah. and you don't have to be able to draw. No, absolutely. I mean, Cine I've, uh, Cinetracer, I think has gotten pretty big, um, Matt Workman software, you know, based with metahumans and unreal. So. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it means you don't have to learn Unreal to be able to produce the imagery, which is yeah. great. Even though learning Unreal is not as difficult as some other 3D software, as you say, but it still yeah. has a learning curve. Yeah, no, of course. There's, yeah. Um, somebody else asking the question here, is Impossible Objects open for client work? People are using the podcast now to, to pitch. <laughs> to how to do it. You know, my, my answer there is I'm, I'm not the right person to be talking to uh, <laughs> about that, unfortunately. We'll, um, we'll pass the message on. <laughs> somebody out there wants to pitch you on a, yeah. a new project. Yeah. If I was the one, I would, I'd say yes to everybody and we'd have a problem. So I'm, that's why I'm not that person. Right. Um, somebody else is asking here, um, any favorite plugins that you've used? Do you make your own? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, we are already like internally exploring just kind of custom scripts and things like that, that it's more of a pipeline tool, but I mean, plugins in general, I think, uh, without a doubt, uh, and this is just, yeah, digging into the weeds here, but just uh, like ultra dynamic skies in every unreal higher uh, project directory of ours. Um, you know, just as a, as a base for, if you're doing exterior work, um, I think that that's one of the most brilliant things I've, I've seen in a while, um, just how easy it is. And, you know, every software has a, has their own version of creating a sun and a sky. Um, and unreal has some default ones, but that happens to be, um, a really great plugin. And there's the, the free for the month, um, and another, not ultra dynamic sky, but a free for the month. I've forgotten the name of it. But it's it's very I'll good. I'll check it out. It I need to. I've been so. Stuff. I used to be so on uh, downloading all those things, and I'm. It's been a moment, so I, I got to catch up with those. Get your free for the month. Yeah. Everybody, get it while it's free. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, favorite. Uh, do you guys make? So you said you're making your own uh, some of your own tools as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we've gotten to that point where, um, especially with, you know, still working with other softwares and, and things like that, and also just streamlining um, the process in which we kind of shift because we do previs in Unreal. And then we've now done, um, we've now done a project where we've animated in Unreal as well with like just not even touching Maya. Um, and that's not our, our permanent goal. But now we've done a little bit of, of that we've done animation in Maya. Animation. yeah character animation yeah. um and we do obviously a lot of vehicle animation too that's kind of our one of our main things and all of that is done in unreal um but then also exploring how to um you know uh still bridge Maya and unreal and there's there's a lot of tools for that um but it's it's one of those things where i think unreal is in the larger larger industry used primarily as previs still at in the big in the big houses that you know, aren't ready to like render a whole project in Unreal. And so we're kind of still exploring how to, to, to use these tools and, and continue, um, continue just finishing them in Unreal. So speaking of connective tissue between programs, uh, have you guys played with Omniverse or USD very much? Yeah, I'm personally very actually interested in USD, um, both with Omniverse and just USD in general. Um, because uh, you know, right. That they're, they're, they're not quite synonymous, but um, Omniverse is built off of USD. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's a great idea. Um, I can't say that it's, it's made it into like a, uh, a production pipeline yet, um, but very eager to. Um, we're, we're constantly exploring that. Um, we're very big fans of NVIDIA and, and partnered with it, both NVIDIA and Dell on, on quite a few projects. Um, so it's, it's of great interest to us to kind of push that limit as well. Um, especially because it just you know usc talks with so many different softwares that's kind of the one of the main you know the pillars behind usd right um so yeah yeah the, the reason for it being yeah really yeah it's it's super powerful i i think is just starting to see the industry starting to adopt it more and therefore mm -hmm. it's being kind of pushed around by more people than pixar so it'd be it's yeah. exciting to see where it goes yeah but people placing some big bets on it. In fact, the Omniverse is based on it. Is it good? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, so no, we're definitely, I mean, we're, we keep a close eye on it. That's for sure. Uh, another question here from Sony. Do you, do you develop a lot of your own um, custom assets in-house or do you use a lot of pre-existing marketplace and third-party sites? That's a good question. You know, it, it, that's also kind of a case-by-case -case situation. Um, it's, it's definitely both. Um, you know, you, no, no one can, um, dispute the fact that, you know, uh, Quixel bridge and mega scans, um, 
are you know a, a huge part of Unreal Engine and, and world building. Um, but you know, there's that's an, it's not always the right tool for for what's called for. So yeah, we definitely do custom custom things. Um, uh, you know, custom cars too. But for for environment work, it it really depends. There's you know, we still do um, like layout is still very important to us, even though we're working in Unreal. It's not that we just always put a cookie cutter marketplace asset and like, oh, that's the previous environment. You know, it's it's always about the story and sometimes the storyboards and, and kind of catering to that and um, just being flexible that way. So, you know, we still employ a lot of the traditional layout tools just kind of immediately in Unreal. And that's also why I think there's um, there's been some tools in, in five. I forget if it was this release or just five in general, but just the modeling tools in Unreal have been very useful. Um, for us and and being able to kind of just kind of stay there for for layout and things like that. That's cool. Yeah, they they definitely definitely knew coming from four. What um, can you can you uh, give us any examples of of things that you've done with them um, directly in engine? Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, the I think the the content that, that that's out there. You know, there's. Um, I mean, there's. We've seen a lot of things. Obviously, the you know, there's a combination of the the matrix demo and things like that, where they actually in engine, we're doing procedural building, things like that. You know, we're, we're, we're not exploring that. That was, that was extremely, you know, meticulous and a, a long, a long process for Epic to develop. Um, but just, just being able to edit geometry in unreal and, you know, kind of, uh, it's funny, we almost never use the word gray box because in Unreal, there's really no point to doing gray box layout because you just, you do something a lot prettier right away. Um, but it's still kind of there to kind of help sculpt, you know, what you might be doing or crafting with an environment. Yeah, speaking of sculpting, they, they actually have a, a pretty cool sculpting brush, even with like a Dynamesh kind mm. of a thing where you can pull it about and yeah, yeah. really shape the, at least roughly the object. Just, Pretty cool yeah. to be able to do that straight in engine. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, can you tell us a, a little bit about a bit, bit more about um, Cloud Racer and yeah. what uh, what uh, kind of brought that about? What uh, what was the impetus for that? Yeah, um, you know, uh, I mean, like I said, so it was this a proof of concept thing um, that was developed in house at Impossible Objects, and. Um, you know, the, the goal for us was to, to kind of see what we could do with these tools um, that were just accessible, kind of like the, not, I don't want to say the base level of these tools, um, but, you know, we did mocap in-house, like I said, with a, a Rococo suit. Um, we did, our, our face capture was done with the free app from Epic um, and those kinds of things and, and building as robust of a pipeline as we could, because a lot of what, um, you know, the, like the inertia-based mocap world is um, not necessarily like long form content. It doesn't always work so great when you're doing extremely long shoots um, or, or recording sessions um, over a period of time and also need like, you know, then you've got archiving and cleanup and all these things. And so it was an exploration into that pipeline um, because we were just completely fascinated with, with metahumans um, uh, and, and just kind of immediately being able to craft a story without having to spend, um, you know, months and months developing this character pipeline. Right. Have you guys been uh, playing with the mesh to meta humans, being able to customize your yeah, own? Yeah, you know, a, a little bit too. It, you know, we wish it came sooner because we definitely have ha always had a lot. There's been a lot of requests, um, uh, you know, like come come through where it was kind of like custom meta humans, and it was it was prior to that. It was prior to that, you know, being released, and our answer was um, we still have to resort to kind of just the traditional way to kind of do that kind of thing. But that has has been definitely extremely liberating. So, right. Yeah, makes sense. It's a, the hard things to do to make humans yeah. in CG, and it's it's incredible what they yeah. can what they can do now with the tool, especially the the mesh to meta humans. I think we've seen lots of people doing this themselves, yeah. also doing really wacky yeah. alien yeah. type shapes. And, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun times. No, um, so course. I want to talk a little, a little bit about um, virtual production and um, Maybe you know. It, to me, it's it's an umbrella term that means a yeah. whole bunch of things. But um, what what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I I would have to agree with you. You know, um, I I know a lot of people who think virtual production equals the Mandalorian, and like that's the math equation, um, and uh, that's part of the equation, but it's not. That's not the formula. 
um, it is it is an umbrella of these tools that kind of contributes to what I think is this the core of this just the idea of this nonlinear process being able to kind of do things in this fashion where um, you're kind of iterating more quickly. Um, you're working in an environment where decisions are kind of happening simultaneously um, because it isn't just this this traditional process of of stage by stage. And it's the whole tool set that goes with that. So, you know, Unreal is a tool within virtual production. Um, volume stages are a, a tool for that as well, or kind of like the, the end of the pipeline in, in that sense. But also visualization. I mean, a lot of what we do at Impossible Object is uh, entirely in-engine visualization. There's no there's no live action production component, even though we do all those kinds of things. Um, you know, the, so the animation we do in Unreal, we consider virtual production because we're trying to employ this process of, you know, previs just rolling into the rest of the production. It's not previs, hard stop, take a look, figure it out, you know, then build and then build from there in a different software package. Um, so it's all those things um, and a lot more. And it's obviously always changing, too. It's hard, honestly hard to keep track of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the terminology um, often comes before the techniques and people are trying to explain yeah. what this stuff is. And, and then, yeah, I agree um, with a lot of your points there. Um, it, I think it's really interesting to highlight some of the other things that you can do with it, because as you said, a lot of people just think yeah. LED, big, expensive LED volume, which is impractical to a lot of people, even small companies. Yeah. And, um, that there's a lot of other things that, that you can do with it. Um, what, what's been, uh, you, have you guys done much with, with green screening in? Yeah, actually we've done a, a, the, actually the Diablo project that you were talking about that, that we spoke about last time was kind of a case study with, um, the, the flavor of, of hybrid virtual production. And I didn't, I didn't coin that as well. I have to give credit to, you know, there's this virtual production field guide that Epic, um, Put out. I'm, I'm forgetting the author's name, um, but there's there's a load of, of that's a great resource um, that you, if you haven't pub sent that uh, to your the community here, you definitely should. Um, but yeah, we have done a lot yeah. of green screen stuff because we have uh, found a lot of value in bringing these live view kind of Unreal uh, environment tools to a set in which maybe um, yeah once again the volume wasn't cost effective or just out of range or for whatever reason there needs to be post, you know, sometimes, because obviously volume shoots, you spend a lot of money doing pre-production and on the volume, and sometimes you still need to do VFX and post, and um, a green screen makes more economical sense, and so we kind of bring that tool, we bring our own little um, virtual production cart and kind of run a live, uh, a live um, view of the environment so that you're using it as a way to help, um, honestly, all the departments. I mean, it starts with helping the director first and foremost, obviously, but when we bring it to a green screen shoot, it's primarily to help just the visuals be a little more cohesive so that, um, you know, even if the actors aren't being able to see it while they're performing, um, the, the crew and everyone involved in sculpting the image um, has a, a more cohesive sense of the direction this shot is going in. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, the, I think in the, as in the live podcast, there's some links going out. So anyone interested in the, the field guide, you can check yeah. those out. Great. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's uh, Noah Kavner. Yeah, no, okay, great. Yeah, and there's two, two, maybe even three volumes out now, right? I don't know. Yeah, I was aware of the second one. That's cool. There's a, another one as well. It's, I mean, it's that's how fast it's changing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Need to do one every couple of months. Yeah. Um, and yeah, talking about virtual production, how has cinematography, in your experience in cinematography, helped? in this new emerging field yeah um i mean also also a great question you know um at the end of the day i'm i'm, I'm extremely fortunate to have kind of this background help guide me in a software or in a workflow such as virtual production because you know you can have the most beautiful environment in unreal in any software package and if you're not um you know capturing it with the right cinematic uh, view, you know, with themes, with lighting, whatever it is, camera, even just blocking, um, you know, things fall apart very quickly. It's in the, in the same sense that photorealism in CG falls apart in, you know, the blink of a, a blink of an eye. I think personally, the same goes for lighting um, and just like the fidelity of an image and what I just call just cinematic photorealism because, you know, um, 
So in that sense, I, I think cinematography is extremely important. Um, and that's also why I'm always trying to just bring people like, you know, you have this great knowledge of, of lighting and blocking. It can be applied virtually, you know, and, and you, you may have not even know, known it. Right. Yeah. Is there any, any tips for anyone who hasn't, doesn't have that background? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, if, if Unreal Engine is daunting, I, I will say I, uh, CineTracer looks wonderful um, for kind of figuring that out because it's the same concepts and it's built by a cinematographer. Um, so, but um, no, just explore, you know, uh, explore with a goal in mind of like, you know, if there's a reference image you want to try and recreate or if you're going to watch a tutorial, do it with the goal of um, trying to recreate a, a lighting scenario that you've done in live action or, or you've seen a cinematographer you look, look up to do in live action because all of those things can be done and i can say um drawing all the way back to the short that i did for this mckinnis challenge that you know one of the first things i did in unreal um every shot we we approached as if we were physically present shooting that shot with the camera and a crew um because we knew nothing about um lighting a scene um in cg in the in unreal in, in that aspect so we just treated it as if we were there and we learned how to use the same tools but just um in a virtual sense and so that that's where i have the most fun um i know not everyone can just kind of dive in and, and and commit that way um but that's that's the draw for me at least uh, at the beginning so so thinking like a cinematographer even though you're in even when you're in a totally virtual environment thinking yeah as one would doing the kinds of things that they would do in real shoots. Yeah, and that's correct. It. Because, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that I wouldn't want to say my, my personal style or my, um, my own cho aesthetic choices is always grounded in light in, in, in realism. Um, you know, there's plenty of things we do or we attempt to do where realism isn't the goal. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't understand the language of, just cinema and how to move the camera accordingly. There's plenty of, of Pixar movies that aren't going for photorealism, um, but they're extremely cinematic. Um, and so Unreal Engine has been kind of this portal for like getting to explore that. And, you know, as soon as you, as soon as you download it. It's an interesting um, description that people use for things. It's, it looks cinematic, it has a cinematic look. I yeah. like it. People are always kind of questioning what what does that what does that mean? Yeah, what does what does it mean? Yeah, uh, it's a, also a difficult thing to ask, um, and you would get a biased response because I am a cinematographer. So. Right, it looks like things I make. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the shortest answer. <laughs> um, any thoughts on this kind of explosion of AI and machine learning generated imagery that started oh, to come out? uh yeah that was a, a moment i definitely jumped on like everyone did um yeah i mean i, I don't want to like i don't have like comments on like the you know I, maybe people saw the headline of uh, an ai winning an art contest yeah. thing that that went viral right but um i mean it's 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 amazingly fun to play with but more importantly extremely scary um i even saw <laughs> i even saw yeah. a text to video ai uh, someone sent me where you write a sentence yeah. and an AI will turn it into a video, not an image, a video. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the connection, you know, to, to the met, like the, at some point that will connect with the metaverse and things will explode. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think once AI equals the metaverse, then we're all doomed. Yeah. But, uh, are, they, are there any kind of, there's some things that I don't like doing the kind of grunt work that seems like machine learning is slowly kind of picking into and then there's the fact that you can generate your own yeah. concept art in a way although it might may look trippy and weird yeah but you can still but some of it isn't some of it's starting no, to look I mean, like, you know, quite custom and uh mood boards and and references are, are such a huge part of i mean any visual craft but especially especially filmmaking and more importantly especially like visualization like just cg imagery like you always references are, are key that's like the other you know foundation of yep. of at least good cg imagery in my opinion um so yeah in that sense it's a great way to build a palette you know um without having to search uh search for other things you know um equally I'll, I'll shout out i really love um what is it shot deck is extremely yeah. useful in the same sense to me it's like a very similar tool just with existing you know um 
things that have been done. So I, I, in my, in my mind, I consider it kind of in the same vein. Yeah. And I personally haven't gone too far. Um, def, I mean, definitely used it, but I haven't, I don't have a, I don't have an Instagram handle with my AI imagery yet. Yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm definitely uh, fascinated to see what happens next. Cause we've seen that, uh, a lot of 2d imagery being made, even animated stuff and videos, mm -hmm. you said, um, and things that in, enhance old imagery i'm interested to see where oh, it goes yeah. with 3d like yeah you can start seeing 3d worlds generally. yeah 3d i mean there's i it's not it's not as um it's not as mainstream or viral but there's ai that do there's ai generated rigs like like you right. know like an ai will generate a creature that walks and it's a rig you know and like there's there's applications for that in in uh visualization so yeah weird weird creatures yeah ai can make you weird trippy creatures yeah and rig them and animate them for you and everything yeah, yeah. you just have to say a word yeah into the it'll be yeah i done. am i am scared I, that was a serious thing i am scared <laughs> so. <laughs> so i one of the last questions i was going to ask you about is what are you excited about most about the future you could also include what you're scared about most yeah no 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 i mean uh great 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 ending topic. Um, I, I think I'm most excited to see, you know, this kind of paradigm shift in how this tool how Unreal Engine is used, but how virtual production as a whole is used to kind of just create a new, um, I don't want to say wave of, of, of content. That's like the worst way to say it. Uh, I want to say, um, just kind of a, a, these new types of projects and creatives and stories that can get told. Um, because, you know, the, the boring answer is, oh, because it's an accessible tool, you know, yada, yada. But in my eyes, it's no, it's more because it's just imp, um, empowering, you know, people at the source to kind of take this and take their story the whole way um, and not get lost in the process. So that could be that could be a solo, you know, artist taking something and creating something uh, like amazingly beautiful. It could also be a director who their project gets lost in the pipeline of who knows what, uh, you know, with, uh, the, you know, if it takes years to do things. Um, and I, I think that this tool kind of helps change how those things are done. And um, it's not meant for everything. It's not I don't think everything needs to suddenly start using this. Um, but uh, the, the things that we like to work on at, at Impossible Object, it's we have the most fun using it. So that's that's why we're constantly uh, going to just continue trying. Well, appreciate you trying because you're, as I said, you're I think studios like yours are, are going to push the edge. I mean, you're, you're willing to take risks and explore and experiment. And that's that's what's needed. Um, is there any way that people can can follow more about you or impossible objects or any of your own? Yeah, work definitely. Um, there's the I'm sure the 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 you know the hashtags will go out. Our impossible objects Instagram um, has our latest content, and I on my own handle just Luke Delamar. I I post at this point. Uh, it's trans transitioned from a live action career to CG to virtual production. Uh, you could you could see the the transition there. Um, so yeah, just, or just, you know, just go to our website. We are very big on sharing the case studies that we do, um, and kind of sharing how it's done. Um, I don't think there's any production we do now that doesn't have a very large behind the scenes, um, portion cause it's just so much fun to make, but it's also like people, oh, people got to know how we did this. Cause, um, you know, we're just kind of figuring out and, um, having a good time. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I, um, I'm with you on that one. I'm a, basically a school teacher these days. So I, I, I'm very into sharing as well. And I think it's yeah. one of the wonderful things about this new way of working is it feels so much more collaborative than uh, filmmaking or visual effects have been in the past and the communities that are growing around it and the, these challenges that are appearing. It's, mm -hmm. it's a really exciting time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad, well, I'm glad that you've got your, your community and, and what you guys do here is, is awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be, to, to be talking and to be a part of it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I look forward to bringing you guys back and talking about one of your next projects as well. On yeah. Another webinar. Absolutely. Well, Luke, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight and with us. It's been a great pleasure having you on. Thank awesome. you. Okay. For your time. No, of uh, course. Thank you, Ed. And thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to, everybody else out there who's joined us. And if you enjoyed tonight, then you can catch us again in a couple of weeks. You can follow us at becomecgpro.com. 
thank you, everybody. Hope you have a good rest of your evening, and we'll see you soon. All right, thank you.